Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. And so I like to think about hiring instead of getting rid of all the stuff you don't know, you don't like, get rid of some of the strategy, get rid of some of the growth that has to happen. Brains who know how to make this happen. Like I could spend $800 on a YouTube course or I could invest money in someone who could set up a YouTube channel for me and give me the strategy that I need to implement. It's gonna be a higher investment, but the return's gonna be way higher. This is The Real Bottom Line, where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. Today, my guest is Sheila Cummings. Sheila, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm super duper excited and I'm gonna go into full transparency mode that Sheila was my business coach for a year and we had a phenomenal time together. Yeah. We had a great time together. Yeah, yeah. We were just joking a little bit, Sheila, that um, a number of people who guests I've had Um, out of my 23, let's say three or four were um, teachers that ended up in business. How did you make that leap from teacher to being a business owner and a business coach? I love that. Uh, Totally accidental, (laughs) not planned. Um, I, when I, so when I had, I'd been trying to get out of teaching for about five years. Mm -hmm. I'd been, I went back to school. I got a master's in education. I very briefly tried admin, very quickly removed myself. That wasn't my space. Um, At the time I was working at a private school and doing IB um, accreditation visits, which was fun, but didn't, it just, there was something that was missing. And so when I went on maternity leave with my first child, I spent the year sort of exploring what else I could do. And I had my hand in a couple different fires. I'd sort of loosely started a parenting blog, um, not loving it, but you know, I sort of did it. And then the day I went back to work after he went into daycare, I figured out I was pregnant with my second. Um, now I know what causes it, but I wasn't really <laughs> expecting it to be that quick. Like this isn't, you know, but um, and so it sort of was this unspoken agreement with me to myself that Mm. I would find something else that I could do, but I'd only ever been a teacher. I didn't know what else I could do. And, um, I, I never went back after my daughter was born. I now have three kids, but I've been out of the classroom for 12 years now, uh, and have never looked back and it all just started experimenting. And so the first sort of iteration of entrepreneurship was doing tutoring and I would leave my house at three 30, a babysitter would come in. And if you can imagine life with two kids under the age of two, um, I was very happy to step out at three 30 or four and go and do something adult based. Um, and I loved it, but what happened is I started getting booked and then overbooked. And then I started bringing in other friends that were on mat leave or looking for side gigs and tutoring and 
but I didn't love that. And at the same time, I was also running this parenting blog, which started monetizing itself, you know, but I got to, I didn't love doing it, but I got to learn so much. So through the tutoring business, you know, learning this concept of scaling and hiring and timetabling and placing and, you know, handling phone calls. And, and then through the parenting blog, figuring out this parenting world and just to, you know, age myself a little bit here, like I remember my first workshop was how to connect Facebook, Twitter, and your blog to be this marketing machine. Because Facebook, of course, had been out for only a couple of years. Twitter had just been, you know, released to the world. Blogging was still something that was incredibly new. And you know, I got to learn all this stuff and I got to learn how to pitch and how to be in a brand ambassador. And I didn't love it. <laughs> and then at the same time, uh, we have a friend of ours, and I will always be grateful for this opportunity. He runs a corporate training company. And he, you know, my master's, I have a master's in curriculum teaching and learning. And so building courses and creating content and making it attainable to an audience is my jam. It's what I love doing. It's what I'm good at. And so he hired me to build courses for him which meant while I was doing these other things, I also could read and learn every theory and attend every course and develop it into a program, into a course for him. Then I started facilitating for him, but I didn't love it. And it wasn't until I was emceeing a women's entrepreneur event and I had that connection through the blogging world where in between each speaker, I would stand up and do a mini training to segue into the next presenter. And at the end of that, I loved it. And I was, I was pregnant at the time again. And um, to stand up there, you know, when you're pregnant, you're incredibly vulnerable. But in, to stand up there in front of a room of 200 women, I just felt like I was at home. Mm. You know, they got me. <laughs> they knew what it was like to have cankles. They knew what it was like to have, you know, things when you're pregnant, things are going everywhere. And they accepted me. And they were listening and they grabbed on, you know, and they took the content. And, mm. and at the end of that day, a woman came up to me and said, Sheila, I want to hire you. I said, awesome. Is this, you know, do you want me to come speak to your group or do you want me to do some training for you? She's like, no, I want you to help coach me to increase my sales. And I was like, yeah. oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't really do that, but sure, let's try it. And so I brought her in pro bono, like didn't charge anything just because I wanted to experiment and see what it was like. Mm -hmm. And she's still with me today. Oh and that's God. how it all just sort of evolved. And, yeah. you know, I, my first iteration was as a, as an entrepreneurial trainer, I ran courses and taught people how to do different things. That's still a mainstay in my business. We lead with training. Yeah. Um, but I realized that I could get our students to a certain spot and then I couldn't get them through that. And then I realized because I had hired a coach to get me through that barrier, I was like, oh, well, if the coaching worked for me, maybe the coaching will work for them. So I went and got certified as a coach and I now have taken four coaching certifications and I never stop because there's always new iterations based on the barriers that I see our women hitting. And so all of our programs at the road to seven involve content or training and yep. coaching in order for people to get the results. Indeed, and right, and yeah. it was just last year that I rebranded away from the Sheila Cummins show 
to the road to seven because it was indicative of the journey that I was on. And this business is bigger than me now. Mm. You know, our mission is to be a global leader in educating and coaching and financing women entrepreneurs. And I can't do that as the Sheila show. It has to be larger than me. And so I now have coaches that are working in my programs and are developing our content, uh, are delivering our content. I'm still the content developer. I'm still the one building the courses. I'm still the brainchild behind the programs. I still lead some of our programs, but it has allowed me and alleviated the time pressure to have me be able to build this new funnel, which is that access to capital for women entrepreneurs. And, you know, one of our main core values is that investing in women makes good sense, C-E-N-T-S, because not only is it a smart investment, you will see that women will pay their loans back faster. They are more accountable. They also will take that loan and have a tendency to make a fourfold ROI on it. So that means that when we invest in someone, her business is then going to have a fourfold impact. And women tend to build businesses that are service-based, that um, are changing the world, that are impacting others in a positive way. And so that's a really great piece to be a part of. If I can help these women increase their return fourfold, I am in essence, you know, then helping more and more people. And that, Wendy, is how it's all evolved. It's so cool. There is so much to unpack here right now, Mm -hmm. Sheila. So I'm going to try and take away at a little bit of your story and ask some deeper questions. Sure. So um, when you think about that time when you're on stage um, and now that you're totally immersed in building and helping build businesses and increasing impact, what is it you love about business? Mm Mm-hmm. What is it's it that com- makes you tick about that? Yeah, it's uh, it's common sense. Mm, okay, tell At me At the more. root of it all, it's common sense. And it's mm. there is a repeatable, successful process yes. that happens. And you can find patterns and you can see systems that work again and again and again. But what I love about it is how I run a system is not necessarily, Wendy, going to work for you. Yeah. And that's where the beauty of running your own business is. We know we need to have systems, but we need to build these systems based on the universal truth of what that system needs to do. And then we adapt it to how we do business and how we as people work. You know, you have a different work style from me, who has probably a different work style from from Melanie, from Kelsey, from Christina, you know, and as a business owner, one of the perks is you get to do it your way. For ways that work with what your zone of genius is. With who you are, with your style, with your strengths, with your visions. You know, we were talking about hiring and not everybody has to hire the same way. Like it's, you do what you need in the moment. And we, as the business owner, I think it's important that we look at all the options, but ultimately we get the final say. I feel like I want to give you a new title, Sheila. Mm-hmm. I want to call you a business scientist. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. 
So outsourcing. So um, you're like a lot of entrepreneurs like myself. Um, we do not have uh, the bandwidth or the people or the resources to have a full-time marketing department. So we mm -hmm. end up bringing some folks in. Mm -hmm. How do you how did you decide when to bring people in and how to help them and where they should uh, lend talents to you? Yeah, great idea. Great question. Uh, you know, I think that the tendency is for what I see is entrepreneurs hiring the lowest echelon. And I mean, no disrespect yeah. to a VA or, you know, someone else who's going to come in and help with the implementation of things mm -hmm. that is a lower ticket hire. Mm -hmm. But what it's not doing for the entrepreneur is removing the strategy and the decision-making. And the assumption is that the business owner knows all that has to be done to get the result and will then manage these people to be implementing. Mm -hmm. And so what I've done is very strategically hired people that are way smarter than me, way better at whatever that piece is that I need, who can come in, work with me, build the strategy for me to then give to other people to implement. And it means that you're investing more in the front end. Mm. But what it does do is remove the stress of strategy from our shoulders. And, you know, listen, HR, marketing, finance, sales, those are all four-year degrees that people go to school to study and we earn. Think we can all do it like that. And we think we all just should know how to do it. Yeah. But we know how to do what we know. And that's our lane. And we have to bring in people that are smarter than us in order to do the other. And it's not unusual, Wendy, for me, for my birthday to ask for a new sales page because they are freaking expensive. And I don't necessarily have this, the, the financial cash flow to be able to pay that, but I can be resourceful and find the money to be able to hire up yeah. instead of hiring down. And so I like to think about hiring instead of getting rid of all the stuff you don't know, you don't like, get rid of some of the strategy, get rid of some of the growth that has to happen. Brains who know how to make this happen. Like I could spend $800 on a YouTube course, or I could invest money in someone who could set up a YouTube channel for me and give me the strategy that I need to implement. It's going to be a higher investment, but the return's going to be way higher than me trying to learn how to do it myself. Well, and I think there's um, two levels to this, Sheila, because you've talked about the cash component mm -hmm. of resource, yeah. but there's also the time. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? When you think about, oh, I have to take the course and then I have to do it. Whereas, you know, um, someone who knows what they're doing will have it done way faster. Way faster, way better without yeah. making all the mistakes and having to redo it. If that's their jam, you know, not only are you paying the higher rate, but you're also paying yourself because you're saving yourself all of those hours and anguish and frustration and, you know, like all the beating your head against the wall. And then you go into that tailspin of, oh, I shouldn't be doing this anyway. Who am I to be an entrepreneur? Blah, 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 blah. But you're asking yourself to do things that are not your genius. And you have so no right. How do you, how do you help people get over that hump because I think that's a very real hump for a yeah. lot a lot a lot of entrepreneurs who feel they should have a handle on all this stuff versus yeah. hiring out so how would you how would you what would be two questions you would ask someone to consider mm -hmm. to help them down that road 
So I think there's two questions and I want to say two so that you hold me to the two answers because oh. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll go, go off on a tangent and forget. <laughs> but I think the first question is, why are you feeling like you have to do it all? Mm. And I think that there is a misconception that there is a weakness or something wrong with us as an entrepreneur if we don't know how to do X. And I'm going to be straight up. Instagram and I, we don't get along. I know how to consume it, but you asked me to make a reel. I am not looking at a camera and pointing around while dancing. It's not who I am. It also would take me probably five hours to create. Yeah. D, who works with me, is a whiz at this stuff. So she'll say, Sheila, I need five pictures. This is what I want you to do. Or the, I need three things to do this. And I send it to her and she does it. And so it is not a weakness on my part that I don't know Instagram. The weakness is if I sit there struggling and not use it because it's a beautiful tool for client attraction. And so the very first thing is being able to ask for help. And asking for help is not a weakness, it's a power. Because when you ask the right people for help, then all of a sudden these problems start to get solved and the clarity comes. The second thing is the cash flow issue. And that has its roots in our pricing. Mm. You know, when I see our women, I work with women, so I'm going to keep referencing women, but this is a, a universal issue. When entrepreneurs are pricing their services or their products, they're not taking into account what's called a contribution margin. Yeah. which is the amount that goes back into the business from everything that you sell. So I see people pricing it based on the number of hours that they're going to work. Well, that's great, but that's only one piece of the equation. We also need to know the salaries that you're going to have to pay to deliver that service. We have to know what your variable costs are. We have to know what the fixed costs are. And we have to know how much is going to be reinvested back into the company so that you can keep doing what you're doing. And so, you know, for, I don't want to sit here and say entrepreneurs should double their price because that's not true necessarily, but a lot of people need to look really closely at what they're selling and the price they have attached because they will not be able to afford to hire on the price that they're quoting. And we have to have that cash flow bandwidth. And the other piece of that, Wendy, is when I see people then selling at a higher rate, they pay themselves more. Well, you're not the first one to get paid. Your company is because that money is what needs to be used to hire that strategy in the brain in order to make those strategic moves. And yeah. so it is a cash flow issue. And the root of it is in the pricing and valuing what we do and understanding that the price that we give is not just to pay you. It is also to pay other people and your company. And want, we want there to be profit at the end of the day. Yeah. And make sure the internet stays on. Well, we, that would be helpful. <laughs> Fixed cost piece. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that because I, I do talk about that a lot. What I find with uh, entrepreneurs sometimes is, um, I'm not going to say it's 100%, but it's, it's a fairly common thing is that they're not on top of their numbers. Mm. Um, I find um, it's kind of like this necessary evil at the end of the year. Um, and for many, it's still either they're shipping stuff off to their bookkeeper or they're trying for a whole week in January trying to do some stuff. Um, how have you helped people get over numbers? Like I, I, I still remember the one comment you said, and I think it was, you can't afford not to know. Yeah. 
So um, I've gone back and done high school accounting. Yeah. You know, I, I have gone back and, you know, I'm a self-educated woman. Um, if I need to know information, I go and figure out who the best of the best is who's teaching it. And I go and learn there. And, you know, I mean, numbers comes back to my comment of it's a four-year degree. Accounting is a four-year degree, friends. So you don't have to know all the intricacies of, you know, where this goes and where this goes in the books, but you have to know what to tell the bookkeeper. You have to know enough so that you know if your books are being done properly yeah. and what the numbers are telling you. So being able to read a balance sheet or a PL, that is your absolute basic. And go and learn how to do that. And the Google is a beautiful source of information. And you can just go and watch four to five different YouTube videos on how to read a PL and you'll start to get the gist of it. But it's our responsibility to know what it needs to do. It's not our responsibility to know the intricacies of how to make it happen. Interesting. I agree. Uh, and the other thing is a profit and loss, but I also think sometimes that um, they, everybody looks at the balance sheet as their uh, poor second cousin, but it's also very important to know how to read and what it means. So yeah, it gives you such great insight in it. You know, I think we have to understand how much is coming in and how much is going out. And I went on a rant the other day on my podcast about how everyone's about, I got to hit the seven figures. I got to hit the seven figures. Now I'm sort of behind the scenes on quite a few of those companies. And what they're not talking about is I'm hitting seven figures, but my profit margin is lower than when I was making 300. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, so why are you pushing for seven? It's a vanity metric, but everybody wants the seven. So it's not always about the top line, but it's about the bottom line. This is our retirement plan. And, you know, I'm snow, I'm preaching to the choir, Wendy, but like, it's our investment strategy. This is our future. And if we're running our business down to zero every month, that's really dangerous. It's not setting you up for future success. It isn't in, I mean, one of the things you you know, what we'll segue into is access to capital, mm. a strong balance sheet or a balance sheet can be in the difference between a yes or a no from a lender. Mm -hmm. So tell me about what you're going down the road with on access to capital. What inspired yeah. this? Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, what initially inspired it was uh, three or four years ago, I guess now going into the bank and asking for a loan, I have a productivity planner and I needed to do a redesign and reprint. And I went in and asked for a $10,000 business loan. And the response was, now keep in mind, I've had a positive PL for the last 10 years. I've run a profitable company. I've had 30% growth year over year. And <laughs> I, went into this, I went into this particular bank and he said, yeah, the only way I can give you a loan is if your husband co-signs on it. And I was like, <laughs> like, you know, in the, in the cartoons where you hear like the brakes screeching. And I was like, but my husband and is the anvil not. dropping on the guy. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry, what? So Wendy, literally, I had been with that bank since the day I was born. I was out of that. I walked down the street to an, a comp competitive bank. I walked in. I explained what happened. The guy's face was like, what? And I had a business, a business account, a business line of credit, a business credit card. I had a personal checking account. I had my RRSPs, my investments, and I was out of that bank within 24 hours. But let's be clear. I am a white woman asking for a loan. Let's not even 
I don't even yeah. want to talk. Well, I do want to talk about yeah. when we talk about women of color going and getting a loan. My chances as a white woman is low. Chances for a woman of color going in is even lower. Yeah. And that inequity is just not okay. Yeah. And so that was what planted the seed in terms of this access to capital concept. And so I sat on it and sat on it. And then when COVID was announced and all the um, subsidies were announced for businesses, the women I work with tend to run a micro business. And we literally slipped through the cracks. 90% of our women did not qualify for any subsidy of any kind. They made too much to be on the CERB. They didn't make enough or weren't structured in a way that qualified them for the SEBA. And so they were left to hang out and dry. Banks didn't want to talk to them. The BDC didn't want to talk to them, me included. And I was like, wait a second, this is not okay. Yeah. And that I don't want to say it's being driven by anger, but it's being driven by a desire to fight for the inequity that is out there in terms of access to capital. And so what we're building is an investment fund, which will provide micro lending to women. It is a platform that has been proven over and over and over again as a very successful strategy to help encourage women to set themselves up as financially independent and pull themselves out of poverty. One of the things that we're going to do that's very different is through the application process, you're actually going to work one-on-one -on -one with a mentor to make sure that your company is set up to take on debt and that you have the bandwidth to pay it back and that your investment is going to earn an ROI because we're sick and tired of people putting money into empty holes and not getting a return. So we're going to help you work with the capital. And that's a big difference. I don't want you just filling out a form online and then you getting you're approved, you're not approved. We want to know who you are. We want to work with you. And then through the term of your loan, we provide you mentorship so that you can continue growing and doing what you do. Because the goal then is to have this become quite a circular economy. Not only are they paying back their loan, but they're also able to then reinvest and mm. become investors so that we can help more women become investors and earn a return on their money so that they realize that a great channel for wealth building is investment. And that's what we're building. I love it. Yeah, uh, I do think that um, it's, it's so interesting when we think we're in 2021 and that happened in what, 2017? Yeah, that's not far ago. That's it's not, not that's long not, ago. That's, that, should have, that shouldn't have been happening in the last 20 years. So, And, you know, my husband and I, we have a quite a unique financial arrangement. We're completely separate. Yep. You know, I have my bills that I pay. He has his bills that I pay. I don't know what's in his account. He doesn't. And for some weird reason, it works for us. It doesn't yep. work for everybody, but it works for us. And so nowhere on my banking is there any connection to him or a sign of who he is or what he brings to the table. It's literally me as an entity, but I wasn't valued as a worthy investment. And that was a big mistake on their part. The bank that I moved to gets a lot of money out of me. That's right. Yeah. Well, uh, very good. Um, when I think about um, as a coach and as a business owner, and I think there's so you, you probably have so many lessons that I'm not even asking the right questions, but I would love to ask if, if you were to talk to an entrepreneur and you said, these are the two to three books that you, or the three Ted talks or the, whatever you need to be watching that will change your perception on what you're doing. What would those be? Says she looking up at one of her four bookshelves. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know, one of the ones that that just popped out at me and that I've probably read six or seven times is Traction by Gino Wickman. And what I love about how he writes is he gives you just the basic foundation and structure that's going to help you get to seven figures. Yeah. And he does it in a way that's attainable, that's easy to implement. Um, anyway, I think it's a great read. And I think he's a focuser on the how, not necessarily yeah. the what, right? Yes. So, because I think you talked a lot about process yes. earlier mm-hmm. and how that's a differentiator. And I think that's his focus. And I think we sometimes get away from uh, doing what works. Yes. My, my joke of entrepreneurs is, oh, that works. So I'm going to stop doing it immediately. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. <laughs> or, oh, this is selling really well, but I'm bored of it. So I'm going to drop it and go to something else. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, another What's the second one? one. Yeah, let me look. My eyes are going to go to one. Mm. Hmm. Do I only have to choose three? You can choose I'm going now to my third bookcase, my third bookshelf. <laughs> That's so funny. Um. Yeah. I'll tell you one of my yeah, favorites. I know exactly what it is. Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. Yeah, it's another too. book that walks you through step by step how to manage your cash flow and how to set it up so that you have enough money to hire and you have enough money to reinvest and you have enough money to run your business. And, and he makes you pay yourself. Yes, first. Well, right? uh, yeah, not yeah. first. Your profit comes first, but it's all based on percents. Yeah. You know, so instead of saying, I'm going to make this amount a month, it's I'm going to make 30% of what my revenue is this month. So it gives you a bit of a flex and it helps you find patterns and it helps you build up. So that is the second one. And the third one, I got to give a shout out to Rachel Rogers. She wrote a book called We Should All Be Millionaires and it's just skyrocketed. She is a woman who is advocating for women to be financially independent and is fighting for women of color to be able to see what's possible. And she does it in a way that speaks our language. Mm. And it's a great book. It's a great read. And, um, you know, I think she really is hitting on that mindset that comes with our relationship to money and where our stories help influence the decisions that we make. So those would be my top three, but I could probably recommend about eight others. But that's where my eyes went today. <laughs> um, when you th- one of the things you talked about, I believe a lot in the mindset and how I think our mind is uh, our best friend and our biggest enemy all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about that, I know you talk a lot about imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. What is that mm-hmm. um, and why should we care? Yeah, well, imposter syndrome is just that little voice inside that's wanting to keep you safe. Mm. And imposter syndrome is usually going to pop up when you're doing something new, something big, something you've never done before. And it's that little voice that says, really, should you be doing this? You know, who are you to be launching this program? Are you sure you should have that kind of a, and, and its sole purpose is to keep you safe. And so I like to think about imposter syndrome as a little gremlin that sits on your shoulder. Mm -hmm. And we need to just acknowledge the gremlin. And I got to tell you, it's not going anywhere. Right. Because we are internally wired to keep ourselves safe. Entrepreneurship is not always about making safe decisions. There's Mm -hmm. a high level of risk that comes in. And the risk is not necessarily monetary. It's there's always a risk of things not working. Mm 
And in fact, things are always not going to work. Not everything's going to be good. And so this little voice is wanting us to prevent us from making a mistake or, you know, falling flat or failing at something. Whereas those are the most critical pieces of our journey. We are, well, I happen to be an experiential learner. I'm somebody who has to experience something in order to learn the lesson. So for example, when I was starting out, like, you know, I live in Canada, we have a pretty high tax rate. And I'm like, yeah, taxes, come on, they're not going to come after me. I'm this tiny little shop. I'm just this mom with kids at home, running this business to make money, like they're not going to come after me, friends, they're going to come after you. And they're going to come after you with a vengeance. I had heard people say, pay your taxes. I knew intuitively that I should pay my taxes, but I had to experience what it felt like to work with one-on-one with Raul from the CRA for a year and a half to pay back the taxes that I owed while still paying the current taxes. And, you know, that's just a life lesson. Absolutely. I tell people all the time, CRA is your silent partner in life and business until you piss them off. (laughs) and he goes from zero to loud quite and I I have to tell you like yeah it was not a great experience but what Raul taught me is that the CRA is actually there to work with you if you work with them (laughs) so if you're having trouble paying your HST for god's sakes call them say listen my cash flow is a little low could you put me on a payment plan so that I can still be paying they just want to see that you're paying and that you're paying attention and that you're you know giving the money that needs to and I think if we can just change our relationship and view of them they literally are there to help us but we choose to see them as the common enemy and listen sometimes they're absurd and I know we can talk about stories and I got the stories too but at the end of the day it's critical (laughs) yeah well I I I, um I I I was lucky enough to get some of the programs so what I and I look at how that all the programs during the pandemic Mm -hmm. were funded I'm like I have no issues paying taxes because I can see what it did you know, it did help a lot of people, not everybody, but I did see that a lot of people did benefit. So. And, and I give huge kudos to the Canadian government and how they unrolled it. Of course, that was clunky. Of course, there's things that don't go well. They unrolled this sucker within two weeks. Right? Right. Like, you know, this is something that would have taken years and years and years to develop. And they just were like, let's make this happen. And so can it be changed and improved? Absolutely. Are there problems and mistakes with it? Absolutely. Did they miss people? Absolutely. And yet they still did the best that they could in that moment. Yeah. Uh, I do think that uh, it was a remarkable effort. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And again, not perfect, but not along. (laughs) Definitely Uh, not perfect. (laughs) One of the things we talked about, um, the entrepreneurs and their to-do list. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so big for most entrepreneurs. How did Uh, What's your thoughts on that? And how do we get that down? So I become very wildly unpopular when I say the following statement. And so just keep your coffee cups to yourselves. Don't throw them at me. (laughs) This is why Zoom is so good. (laughs) Right. Um, But the word that I want to put in front here is the word choice. You know, we have choices all around us. And no matter whether you feel it or not, we choose how we spend our time. We choose what actions we take. We choose how we run our business. And in the moment, you probably don't feel the choice. But if I could use the example of a woman who's breastfeeding her child and trying to run her business, and I use it because it's an extreme example. 
And I, you know, this woman was saying, but I can't, I'm always having to feed my child. And I said, well, what are your core values? What do you, what comes first? She goes, children, tell me more about that. She says, I've committed to feed my children for the first eight months, breastfeed my children for the first eight months that we were, she was in month number four. And I said, so that is your core value. And that is the commitment that you've made to your child. That is a choice. Now, I'm not here to debate whether it's the right choice or the wrong choice. That's none of my freaking business. That is her business and her values. And we honor that. And so for her to honor that commitment that she made, it means we have to do differently in other places to alleviate the pressure on her (coughs) so that she can honor that commitment to her child. Uh And so that's where we need to become resourceful and we need to start thinking outside the box. Another one of our core values at the road to seven is there is always a way. And so in that moment, she's sitting there little bit of a victimhood of oh woe is me I'm always feeding my child and when I invited her to see that it was a choice then all of a sudden we could start finding ways around it well when I'm feeding I could be doing x I could be responding to social media or whatever or I could just enjoy the time with my kiddo because this is not going to last very long and so we made shifts in other places to alleviate the stress But she had to see that that was a choice that she made in alignment with her values. So it was the right choice for her. And so then we need to be creative to figure out how to build the business around that. I feel like by saying the word choice, you also open up the other possibilities because Mm -hmm. when you feel like you don't have choice because you have to do this, Mm -hmm. then I think it closes off your mind to different ways of looking at that problem or that Mm -hmm choice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if people are listening and they're like, oh, Sheila, you're full of it, blah, 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 blah. that's fine. Like you can think that, but I also challenge you to think, well, where am I being a victim in this? Mm. You know, where am I not seeing that I'm making a choice? And when we're caring for elders or we're caring for our family or we're being pulled in 500 different directions, you and I talked about the word overwhelm. Yeah. That is a choice that we choose and overwhelm is actually just one of the mechanisms we use to keep us safe, by the way. And so the choice is, well, I could choose to structure my days differently. I could choose to bring somebody in to help me with X, but I don't have the cash flow. Okay. What are the ways that I could get the cash flow so that I could hire somebody to do X so that I can do this? But what matters, Wendy, is that we're structuring our business in full alignment with our core values, what it is that we stand for and we believe in, and then we can build our business around that. But if you're feeling like you're stuck for time, you probably are. But it also means that there's some choices that are being made that are not serving you, and therefore we can make some other choices. You know, I can't launch this program because I'm busy taking this course. I got it. I know the course is important and so is launching the program. So you're making that choice of, you know, one or the other. And if you didn't want to, if you don't want to drop taking the course, then how can you launch this program in a different way? Yeah. There's always a choice in what we're doing, whether we see it or feel it or not. And when we can see that how we spend our time and the actions that we're choosing to do to get us to the results are completely under our control, we are not a victim to life. Life doesn't just happen to us. We happen to build our life. And there's going to be curveballs. 
there's going to be bad things that happen. There's going to be demands on your time that you don't want to be there. But how you react is where your choice is and where your brain goes is how your choice is. And, you know, I think that's one of our secret weapons. That was very, very powerful, Sheila. I'm going to open it up now for questions. And I think, Melanie, you have a question to start off. Just one? No. Um, <laughs> hi, Melanie. Hi. Um, Sheila, that was fascinating. Um, Thank you. Many things. So I will narrow it down. I think the, I just wanted to touch on um, the higher up versus, I've got two questions, the higher mm -hmm. up versus hiring for the stuff you don't want to do. That mm -hmm. is quite a unique from my experience uh, as a, a relatively new entrepreneur mm -hmm. of my first business. I've heard the opposite many, many times. Yeah. Um, so I, I just wanted to point like how, would you say that's a, like one of the most common mistakes that entrepreneurs make? Would you go that far? No, because I don't think it's a mistake. I think this is where you get to make that decision and the choice mm -hmm. and you've got to be looking at your business. What I mm -hmm. see is people will invest in a VA and I believe in VAs are our best yeah. friend, virtual assistants who can swoop in and help you with the nitty gritty. But the reality is you're having to make all the decisions around the strategy, around what it is that they're going to do. Mm -hmm. And it's possible that those decisions are out of your scope at this point. Right. And so I'm not saying get rid of the VA. No. I'm saying when you're hitting a barrier, you can't hire someone whose job is to implement, to yeah. fix it. You've got to hire somebody who's that strategic decision maker and is knows more about that barrier than you do and knows how to fix it. Yeah. I but thank you for that that extra bit because mm -hmm. I see the value of both, mm -hmm. but I can see the make or break. Mm -hmm. You can hire the most amazing VA or the most amazing bookkeeper, but if you don't have a handle on your own business finance or you don't have a handle on how to direct, these people are great at implementing, but yeah. if you don't know how to strategize around that implementation, like I think that's that's really you keep saying that too. Well, well, I, I think, think really yeah, and not common. Well, I think what we do is we hire people who whose literal role is to implement, mm -hmm. but we expect them to do the strategy. Mm -hmm. And there's a disconnect there. You can't pay somebody fifteen to twenty dollars an hour yeah. to do the strategic thinking. And yeah. sometimes you come across a diamond in the rough who yeah. happens to be able to do that, and you yeah. hang on tight to them. And then you move them up and pay them appropriately. But it's a different investment point for sure. Yeah. And the reason, you know, the reason that I've realized that is there are so many women that I work with who have a VA that, but it hasn't taken any time pressure off of them mm -hmm. because they are still all the strategy and all the decision-making. Mm -hmm. They haven't alleviated that, which is truly where a lot of our time as we're growing is being spent. Yeah, this is where I find it interesting because my, my business is also working with small businesses and a lot of micro businesses as well. So, yeah. and a lot of female entrepreneurs. Oh, I'd love to learn more about your happens. business. Then. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Melanie will be on the podcast when? October. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. October 8th with a couple of our business owners. That'd be great. Great. Um, yeah. So, um, I have another follow up. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Do I have time? Wendy? Yes, go, 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 Melanie. Go. Um, Right. 
the other thing that a, a huge also former educator and uh, experiential learning, life learning, relevance, readiness, all of that stuff, I get all jazzed about that. <laughs> so um, when you were talking about choices, mm -hmm. sometimes when we hear that we have a choice, mm -hmm. there's that bit that we don't feel and you did touch on that. So how important do you see it as a coach or getting a mentor or getting that outside perspective yeah. to recognize that because oftentimes we just do because we're conditioned to do. Absolutely. We don't actively make the first choices to do all the things, but we wind up doing them. So how do you help, you know, first of all, how important do you think it is to seek out that external perspective? And yeah. two, how do you help coach people along to recognize that I didn't think I had a choice, but I do actually, and how to open that up for them. Yeah, great question. Um, <clears throat> so the question about mentorship and coaching, I mean, obviously it's my business, but I also am heavily coached. And I noticed that when I've had those, you know, two to three months where I'm not being coached, that's where everything just falls to, falls apart. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate Wendy. I won't swear on your show um <clears throat> but everything falls apart and you know when we're in it we can't see it and when we're you know coming back to your question about the choice mm. until someone challenges you on that you're not going to be able to see it because it's your reality and the and you know the way that our brain operates and it's i think dr shafali is the one who's coined this phrase but we are masking excuses as facts and we are not always equipped to be able to differentiate between what is an actual fact, meaning what can be put in front of a court of law and be proven without a shadow of a doubt versus what is an excuse that we are leaning on that actually is not rooted in fact, but rooted in a deep emotion. And so it is a questioning process and it is a challenging process. And it is absolutely a topic to be treaded on very lightly, but very consistently. Yeah, it makes me think um, a little bit, I don't know if you're familiar with Byron Katie mm -hmm. um, and her, it's a very similar type process. Like just ask, is that true? <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's that yeah. gentle challenging and, yeah. okay. you know, you know, you've hit a good coach when they don't relent. Yes. Right. When they keep asking and they keep digging and they're not going to give up, you mm -hmm. know, that they have seen something mm -hmm. and, you know, <clears throat> the question is, how do you coach people? People have to be coachable. Yeah. You know, not everybody is ready to be coached. There are, you know, quite a lot of times I'll talk to someone on the phone who's interested in one of our programs, and I actually will not make an offer because they are not open to learning or coaching. They are closed. They are in that victimhood. Um, and, you know, much like an alcoholic, they have to help themselves and they have to want to make change and they have to want to do the work to make the change. And just like I can say, oh, I want to fit back in my jeans from high school, but I'm just going to go and have a beer and chips for dinner tonight. You know, I might want something, but if I'm not prepared and open to take the action, I'm not, I'm not going to get that result. Right. Awesome. awesome. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Melanie. Christina, you're up. If you want to unmute yourself and ask your question. Right. Hi. Thank you, Hi. Sheila. Um, so I have uh, uh, an observation and um, and uh, uh, and a question. Sure. My first observation was that I really at the beginning of the podcast you were talking about, and that wasn't a fit. 
and that, and I didn't love that. Yeah. And that really resonated with me because um, I think that not everybody listens to those voices mm-hmm. and, and gives those the, the, the power that they actually have um, because it is powerful mm-hmm. to say, is, you know, just to stop and reflect and say, but what else? Mm-hmm. And and I really appreciated hearing that vocalized. I'm 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 sure I've heard it in a different iteration, but I, I like the way that you presented that today. And it felt very empowering to hear you say that. And Thank and you. it's not easy and it takes courage to continue to <laughs> reiterate what you're doing. It takes courage and money um, and, and time, right? And so um, I really appreciate how you validated yourself and um, and move forward. And now like, you're just so living your, living your, um, your essence, you know, that's, Thank that's you. Powerful. And I have to say, like, even within the road to seven, I just closed a program this summer, which I kind of really enjoyed. I loved running it, <clears throat> but it just wasn't working. It wasn't working the way that I wanted it to. And I tried shifting a couple things in it, <clears throat> didn't get the results that I wanted. And so I just closed it down, let it lie for a couple months. And then Christina have just reopened another iteration of it that works better. Mm. And you know, and when I hear you say that, I think to myself, I would have a hard time not feeling if it wasn't exactly the way I thought it would turn out, I would have a hard time not framing it as a failure or framing it as something that I've done or, and I I love that. Like you say, there are other options, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. um, so you frame it a different way and you try again and, oh, Gosh, so very powerful, very inspiring. Um, And I'm also going to add readiness. You talk about readiness. And as a teacher, fellow educator, we know that term with kids. And we know that sometimes things can happen in a flash. Mm -hmm. It's, it's real. And, and, but the readiness has to be there. And I just thought I, I would underline that and just say that's such a powerful thing. And I've experienced it as an entrepreneur. Um, Finding, finding my finding my language has been almost a full year, just mm-hmm. finding exactly what it is that I want to say. And that has been worth every moment of struggle and confusion. And, but the readiness wasn't there. So right. yeah, I, right. I, that's very important. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention was strategy. That word gives me shivers. <laughs> I'm not a strategic person. And I wondered if you had some suggestions in terms of sources of information for strategy for for women? I love that. What a great question. Uh, And first of all, you know, congrats on sticking it through the year. You know, that to me shows the resilience and grit that is needed in order to run a business. When you're trying to figure out your voice and your messaging and your brand positioning, my friend, it is a never ending process and it is enough to bring you to your knees. Right? Yeah, I get it. I get it. And it's a never ending process. And so we just have to appreciate it. Your question about strategy is a great one. And I'm going to actually just throw a question back to you. What is a strategy that you're looking for? Let's first sort of hone that in and say, what is the end result that I want? And then let's ask some powerful questions to figure out how to get there. So let's just, what would be one end result that you want? I feel I have so many tentacles going and um, I would like, and I, and I do have someone helping me with this, but, but it feels ethereal. It feels conceptual mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel grounded mm-hmm. and procedural. 
And so I would assume that that is a strategic problem. And um, yeah. I actually think it's not a strategic problem. I think that you're looking for some clarity. If you have lots of different things going on, it's because you actually, maybe you're not clear on what you want that end result to be. And so Mm -hmm. if you were to say to yourself, I know that I have hit it, I'm there. You know, this is the pinnacle of what I'm, what I'm growing. This is what I want my business to be. This is the impact I want to have. This is what I want people saying about me when I'm not in the room. And then, Christina, we reverse engineer. Well, if this is the end result, what do I need to do in order to get there? And it sounds like we need to maybe make some of those tentacles some highways and let some of the others go. I don't know anything about you. I don't know anything about your business. I'm just going on what you've said. But if you've got a lot of irons in the fire, it's because you're searching for something. And we want to know what it is that you're searching for. And then we can build the strategy to that. Strategy on its own is a very overwhelming word. But I mean, just even listen to the difference. I want to increase my revenue by $20,000. Great. Let's build a strategy towards that. Let's look at your pricing. Let's look at what you're selling. Let's look at who you're selling to. Let's look at how you're marketing it. Let's look at your client attraction process, your client nurturing process. Let's look at your client conversion process. Let's look at the enrollment process. Let's look at the delivery process. Those are all strategies, but we know what that end result is. And it's very specific. I want to increase my revenue by $20,000. Okay, your check is in the mail. Thanks a lot for that session. <laughs> awesome. Speaking well, of that, uh, Sheila, how do people reach out and get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, well, you can. There's only one Sheila Cummins, and Sheila spelled this way is quite unique S H E L A G H. Um, I'm on Instagram as Sheila Cummins. I'm on Facebook as Sheila Cummins. My website is The Road to Seven. I have a free training that's on there called The Nine Essential Profit Levers, and they are the nine essential pieces of business that every single business needs to have. It's not some big webinar funnel. You don't have to opt in and I'm going to pretend that I'm going to show up live. It's literally you opt in and you watch the video. I don't, we don't have time for all that other business. Um, you can email me. You can just do a contact. I'm on LinkedIn as Sheila Cummins. And I just, I love chatting with great people doing great things. So just reach out. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Sheila. And I think that the real bottom line today is hire up when you're looking at resourcing your team. Thanks so much, Sheila. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to The Real Bottom Line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. To learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.